Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Timothy 3, 15. It's good to hear all those kids, right? That is so good. It's exactly right. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. A pastor in a mid-sized town wrote the local newspaper explaining 10 reasons that he stopped going to athletic contests. And he said this, first, every time that I went, they asked me for money. Number two, the people with whom I had to sit with didn't seem very friendly. Number three, the seats were too hard and uncomfortable. Number four, the coach never came and talked with me. Number five, I was sitting with some hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Number six, some games went into overtime, so I was late getting home. Number seven, the band played some numbers I had never heard before. Number eight, the games are scheduled when I want to do other things. Number nine, my parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. And number 10, since I read a book on sports, I feel that I know more than the coaches anyhow. In case you haven't guessed or figured it out, there are very <laughs> easy ways that we can see the, par the parallels here with excuses of not to go to church and how silly that they can be. The fact of the matter is, is that many people don't like church or going to a church or committing to a church or getting involved in a church or supporting financially a church. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, here comes pastor. He's going to ask for money now, right? No, I'm not. I have the um, belief that God will provide what we need when we need it. Amen? I do. I really believe that. But to some, church is a bother rather than a blessing. A nuisance instead of a need. A ritual rather than a refuge. But today I want you to see that the church is worthy of our support and participation and commitment. Today's sermon is obviously one of and very many in this sermon series. And 
all things church and why it matters. Why do we matter and why do we need to be an impactful church? In our text, the word church or ecclesio clearly refers to the local church that Timothy pastored. Ecclesia is found 113 times in the New Testament. Only a few times does it clearly mean the universal church, sometimes called the invisible church. That is, the body of Christ consisting of all born-again believers from all faith traditions and all eras of Christianity from Pentecost to the present. And about 90% of all the ecclesia refers clearly to local churches. The visible manifestation of God's people gathered in local assemblies for worship, witness, fellowship, and service, like we do here at Winton First Baptist. You see, God places a very great degree of importance upon the local church, and today I want you to see why the church is worthy. First, it's worthy because of the person who is at its head. The church, both universal and local, is referred to in a variety of ways in the Bible. Let's look at three word pictures to, in the New Testament that uses to explain the church to us. First, it is referred to as a building with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter had just stated that Jesus Christ was the Christ or Messiah, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, verse 16. It was right after this statement in verse 18 that Jesus said, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus wasn't making Peter the first pope in this as a Roman Catholicism teaches. Rather, he was doing a little play on words here, which the um, original Greek clearly states and shows. Peter's name in Greek is Petros. Most of you know that. But which means a stone by which is meant a detached or small stone that might be thrown or easily moved. The word rock in this verse is Petra, which means a mass of rock, a huge, unmovable, massive piece of rock, such as you would see on a mountain or as the rock of Gibraltar is often described. So Jesus was using Peter's name to get across a point here that the church would be built upon him, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Paul takes up this theme of Jesus as the strong foundation of a vast spiritual entity called the church. 
We is his reference in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together. Groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. In whom he also are builded together. For an inhabitation of God through the spirit. So Paul refers to the church as a building and the Lord Jesus Christ as its chief cornerstone. The New Testament also depicts the church as a bride with Jesus as the groom. 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul writes, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The church is a bride to be presented to Christ, the groom, which is also found in Revelation 19. When this announcement is made after the great tribulation, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. What a glorious event that will be when Christ weds his bride, Amen. the church. Amen. Finally, the New Testament depicts the church as a body with Jesus at its head. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 that God the Father hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him that fills all and all. And then in Colossians chapter 1 he says, And he, referring to Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So the Bible also refers to the church as a body with many functioning members. But its head, its ruler and controller, is Jesus Christ. Now, note one critical thing about each of these New Testament word pictures I'm kind of throwing at you here. Number one, it's describing the church, and there is an inseparable relationship between the church and Christ. He is the cornerstone of the building of God's church. He is the groom of the bride of Christ, his beloved church. And he is the head of the body of Christ, which is the church. Listen, the church is worthy because it is unmistakably associated with and connected to and interrelated to the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the church is worthy because of the purpose from which it was founded. In Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, Paul explains the glorious truth about how God joined the Gentiles together with the Jews to create this glorious new people of God, the church. Twice in chapter 1 in verses 12 and 14, he tells us that God did this for the praise of God's glory. 
and that God's glory was the ultimate purpose of the church. And it is also mentioned a couple other places in chapters 2 and 3. But the first duty of the church, understand this. Our number one job as the church is to win people. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We all know this to be the Great Commission. And this was the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples. And by extension to us, he says the same. Someone has said, Christ's last command is to be our first concern. So why should we always be trying to win people? First, because people need a savior. First John chapter 4, verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. A Savior is one who saves from something. If you are lost, without salvation, you're in a mess because of your sin. The Bible says that we are all sinners who have chosen to go our own way and have willfully trespassed God's commandments. We have taken God's name in vain. We have not honored the Lord's day to keep it holy. We have lied. We have coveted. We have stolen. We have dishonored our parents. These are sins against a holy God who will not allow sin into heaven. So we need a Savior and the only Savior who can cleanse us of that sin is Jesus. Peter said, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. It is not being pushy to tell people about the Savior. In light of the internal punishment that awaits those who have not believed, I believe that gives us just right to be maybe a little pushy. But what do I mean by pushy? I don't mean like you're kicking down their door. I believe God provides opportunity for us, even in the most harsh conditions when we're out in the field. I believe he does that. So... To tell people about Christ is the ultimate act of compassion. It's not being pushy. It's being concerned. It's following the great commandment. Second, we ought to win people to Christ because people need a shepherd. In Matthew 9, 36, we read, But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. And were scattered abroad, and sheep having no shepherd. Without Christ, people are without purpose. Without Christ, people are without direction. Without Christ, people wander from pleasure to pleasure and from endeavor to endeavor, looking for fulfillment and purpose. 
But we all know that that's an empty search. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And so it is without Christ. And without Christ, a person's life is purposeless, rudderless. Everyone needs a shepherd to guide them and to direct their lives and give it meaning. And thirdly, we should win people because they need abundant life. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He comes that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The thief he's talking about is the evil one. Satan and his forces who have one purpose while they're still roaming this earth. To steal from you all that is good and holy and wholesome. And to kill your soul and to destroy you for all of eternity. But Christ came so that we might have everlasting life. But not just everlasting life way out yonder someday when you die? No. He gives us abundant life, which is life in Christ, knowing him as Savior and friend, having him with you in every situation, having his peace and joy and fulfillment in life. In other words, having purpose and joy, and joy in having that purpose. I can hardly contain myself describing the blessings of the Christian life, but they are only available through Christ. The purpose of the church is not to provide a place to have your needs met. It's not a karaoke gathering to sing fun songs. It's not to have a place to socialize, and it's not a place to make business Contacts. There are sub-purposes for the church that we'll look at later. But the ultimate purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. There is no greater purpose in your life or for the universal church or for any local church than to bring glory to God. That's the greatest purpose in all this world. And this makes the church more important. It makes work more vital. And its function more critical than any institution on this earth. And it means it is more worthy of our commitment and our participation and support than any other club, any sports body, any charitable organization any social group, any political party, or any business we could be a part of. Now, the Rotary Club might do good things, but it is not as important as the local church. The Masons might do charitable works, but it doesn't touch a light to the church's importance and the magnitude of its glorious purpose. Little League and sports might be a wonderful thing for kids, and it is, 
but not nearly as wonderful or as important as the local church. Your job may provide you great personal satisfaction and fulfillment, but what you do is not nearly as important as your participation in a local church. Someone once said that the church has many critics, but it has no rivals. And what is true of the church as a whole applies to the local church too. P.T. Forsyth said the local church is the outcrop of the church universal. In other words, the church is more important than any other institution or organization or function or activity in this community. Winton First Baptist Church's purpose is more significant in God's scheme of things than what the U.S. Army does or what the German-American Club does or so on and so forth. The church is worthy because it has the most important purpose in the world. And we ought to show that by our lives and our actions to show its worthiness and honor. Finally, the church is worthy because of the price that was paid for it. Jesus came at just the right time for the purpose of redeeming the human race. The meaning of the word redeem is to buy back. In other words, Jesus came to earth for the purpose of buying back that which had been lost from God. This was his purpose in coming. This is why Jesus was sent by God. He was sent to redeem us. So what is the price of that redemption? Well, Jesus willingly assumed two things. First, he assumed man's position. He was born of a woman. When Jesus Christ was born into this world, divinity took on humanity. God took on flesh. And as he walked upon this earth, he assumed the position of being a human being who felt pain, hunger, weariness, and also faced temptation, much like you and I. He got down on our level. He experienced everything that we experienced with one important exception. Jesus never experienced sin. He lived a sinless, perfect life as a human being upon this earth. And the second thing that he assumed was man's predicament. He was born under law. Man's predicament is that we are under condemnation because we cannot live a life that measures up to God's righteous standard. Romans 3.23, all fall short of the glory of God. And most people today tragically refuse to accept God's assessment of their situation. They want to excuse or justify their sin, explaining it away or trying to recategorize their behavior or finding others that think just like them as to 
validate their sin. They are about God's law the way former Surgeon General under President Bill Clinton, Jocelyn Elders, was about the law of the United States. She left the courthouse in which her son was convicted for possession of heroin, and she was asked how she felt about him breaking the law. Hers being the voice for the legalization of drugs in our society, she replied, I don't think he broke the law. I saw something very interesting this week as I was in Disneyland with the kids and the family. There was a sign that says, and this was in Toontown, just to kind of give you a picture. There's a sign on the door there that the kids go and they pull on the door and electrical shocks kind of go out in cartoon fashion. And it said something to the regard of, you cannot open this door, so it's undoubtedly, unexcusably, you are unable to touch this door. And then in bold letters on the bottom it says, unless you feel like it. And it's simple, and I know there was a childlike quote on there, and it's meant to be something else, but doesn't that explain how we treat sin sometimes? We know that we're not supposed to touch it, we're not supposed to be a part of it, but yet we feel like it sometimes, so we go ahead and dabble. That's the point here. Jesus took on our predicament, but he did not take on a sinful life. He lived that perfect life. And though he knew no sin, Jesus was willing to suffer our punishment. He was willing to take our place so that we might be right with God, so that we might be bought back and belong to God. In the fullness of time, at just the right time, Jesus Christ came to purchase we who were under the law, who were trying hard to obey it, but we were powerless to do so. He did this not only by living a perfect life, doing for us what we could never do, but he also did this by offering himself as a perfect sacrifice. Again, doing for us what we could never do. You see, the price we were condemned to pay was so great, it requires an eternity's worth of suffering in order for the penalty for our sin to be fully paid. But because of who Jesus was, God in the flesh, he was able to endure an eternity's worth of suffering in only a short span of three hours on the cross. Something that you and I could never do. And before he laid down his life, Jesus declared, it is finished. Which meant that he had completed the work he was sent to perform. He had fully paid the price for the sins of the world. And three days after his death on the cross, he was raised from the dead as evidence of the fact that the penalty for sin had been fully paid. And that it was now possible for us, men and women, boys and girls, to belong to God. We tend to think of 
Christ dying for our sins personally, and the Bible does teach that. But the Bible also teaches a corporate aspect of redemption, that Christ died for a group of people called the church, which one becomes part of. He trusts in Christ by faith alone. In other words, not only did Christ die for you and me personally, but he also died for the church as a whole. For instance, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul warned the Ephesian elders to be watchful over the flock that God had made them overseers over. And then he instructed them to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And then there's every wife's favorite verse in the Bible. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So the church is worthy because of the price that was paid for it. And what was that price? Jesus gave his life for the church. Suppose... You bought a brand new Lamborghini. I'd like to talk to you about tithing to the church. But let's, say, let's just say you bought a brand new Lamborghini, which you probably don't even know what its worth is today. Some of you are car guys out there, but some of you don't even know what it's worth. Well, neither did I, but I vaguely knew what it was. And so I looked it up. And a brand new Lamborghini Veneno is valued at $4 million, brand new. So let's say you bought that brand new Lamborghini for $4 million, right? And before you could even get insurance for it, somebody took a sledgehammer and demolished it. Would that make your blood boil? Why would it make your blood boil? Because you paid dearly for it, correct? Don't you think Jesus thinks more of the church which he gave his life for than we would for any car or all the vehicles on this earth? The church was worthy of Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary. So it should be worthy of our sacrifice and commitment. If the church was worthy for Christ to die for, it should be worthy of some things from us. The church is worth uniting with. The outcrops of the church universal are the hundreds of thousands of local churches around the world. You honor the church universal by uniting in fellowship with it and getting involved in the local church and supporting financially the church. There you go. There's my spiel. Support us financially. That's it. Okay? But that's what we've been called to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul likens a church to a body with many different parts. His main point is that every part of the body has a role, a job, a function. But here's something you need to see. You never see a body part unattached to a body. Well, depends on where you live and who you work for. Suppose the doorbell rang and you went to the door and there was an eyeball or an arm floating in midair. 
You say, well, that's absurd. But you just proved my point because it is also absurd for a Christian not to be united with a local body of believers. You say, well, I don't need to join the church. I'm part of the invisible church. There's a man who said to the preacher, I want to sing in your choir. And the preacher said, well, you don't belong to our church. Where do you have your membership? He said, I don't belong to any local church. I belong to the invisible church. The pastor replied, well, then I suggest you join the invisible church's choir. Now, I would never, ever say that to you. Maybe in jest. But not seriously. You say, Pastor, I want to keep my... And I've, I've heard this already, just so you know. You say, Pastor, I want to keep my membership at my home church in my hometown or where I came from last. Well, the question becomes, who's ministering to you here in this community? The members of that stateside church or the members here at Winton? Who's preaching and teaching God's word to you and counseling you if you request it and planning programs to meet your family's spiritual needs? The pastoral staff here or where you were going before? If you go to the hospital, is your pastor there to hop in a plane and visit you in the hospital? Or do you reckon that you'd have me do that? Or someone within the church to do that? And when you get out of the hospital, do you expect the sweet members of that church of yours, wherever it might be, for them to come visit you and fix meals for you? Or would you have us do that and help you with that? This is not chastisement. Understand this. It's just something that I, honestly, it doesn't compute with me. I don't understand it. But I guess that's not for me to understand, but to love on you. And to welcome you here. And let you know that we are a welcoming church. And we want you to thrive here. We want you to be in ministry here. We want you to serve the way the Lord God would have you serve. And then secondly... Not secondly, I'm way off. Finally, finally, I said finally before. Finally, finally. The church is worthy of our faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Is worthy of our faithfulness. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I would submit to you that church attendance is more important than the extra hours of sleep you want on Sunday morning or during the Sunday morning Bible study classes that we offer. I would suggest to you that rest and family time on Sunday is important, but not more important than gathering together with the faithful on Sunday morning and Sunday evening to learn more of God's word and to fellowship with the brethren. And attending a growth group is more important 
than watching your favorite TV show on that night. Especially in this day and age where you can record it and come back to it. The church is worthy. Amen. The church is worthy. And it's also worthy of our service. When you serve in a local church, you're functioning as part of the whole body, helping it to be healthy and strong. If my arm is cut off, something vital is missing. I can still function, but not as effectively as I could with my arm. If they have to take out one of my lungs, I could survive with my other lung, but I'd be weak or sickly for the rest of my life unless I got a lung transplant. The bottom line is this. There is a place for you to serve here at Winton First Baptist Church. There is. Men, one of the formative things in my spiritual development is that almost all my life growing up, there were men who were my teachers in the church. I had women teachers too. But I needed to see men serving God. As a man who did not grow up with the Father, I needed that relationship to men in the church. I needed to see men serving God. Men reaching down and serving the kingdom by serving children. Some of you tough guys would charge through a hail of bullets in a battle without a second thought. But you go weak in the knees in the thought of teaching a kid's class just once a month, maybe in children's church. The same could be said of the nursery or any woman here today who could keep the nursery or any husband here that could work together with their wives in those areas. The question of any of these kinds of things is, are you functioning in the body as you were meant to be to help the whole body be healthy and strong. Are we doing that? The church is worthy of many things. But most of all, it's to work together so that we give glory to God. We give the glory to God. The local church you worship in that ministers to you where you are the recipients of the hard work and sacrifice is worthy of your support. Even if you are of a different denomination or cannot agree with our doctrinal statement, but attend our church, I urge you to assist us by helping to undergird the ministry with your tithes and offerings, your blessings, your prayers, whatever it is that God has blessed you to offer this church body. And if you don't know what that is, come see me. I'll find a place for you. Come see Dave. He'll find a place for you. Come see Pastor Martin. He will find a place for you. There is a place for you. The church is worthy, both in its universal and local manifestations. Worthy because of the person who's its head, the wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. It's worthy because it has the greatest purpose. In all the world to bring glory to God. And it is worthy because of the price that was paid for it. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Therefore we ought to re-establish re relationships. 
reestablish our place in this church. Unite with the local manifestation of the church of God. I happen to know of a good place you can serve. Be faithful to its services. Serve its members in ministry. And support it in any way that you possibly can. Amen? Amen. Dave, come and lead us in our benediction. Let's stand together. Let's thank God for His blessings and just praise Him as we leave this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Heavenly Father, as we leave here this morning, I pray that we find ways to get involved, to serve you and to give glory to you. Lord, as a body of Christ, we need to function together to be more effective to bringing those into the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that you will place before us to do so. But more importantly, I pray that the things that we do, the things that we say, the ministry that we are involved with or will plan to be involved with will give you glory, will honor you. And Lord, others will see that and want to be a part of that and, and be infected by that, Lord, that you want to be a part of it in any way possible. Lord, thank you for the fire and the desire we have as a church to reach the lost. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.